Hello and welcome to the Lakeshore Records podcast on Cue With. I'm your host, Alon Leviton, and I had the great pleasure of speaking with actor, singer, and co-creator of the legend Vox Machina, Sam Regal, composer Neil Acree, and producer-songwriter Peter Habib, aka Mr. Fantastic. During our wide-ranging conversation, we discussed the evolution of Critical Role's enormous success from streaming weekly hangs to Kickstarter to the screen, magic lutes, trap beats, and heavy metal guitars, the importance of planting thematic seeds as a composer, the mysterious bridge between James Brown, funk, and fantasy, how to make a nasty, nasty boy more sophisticated over time, the Super Mario Brothers theme, decoding pop songs, hints for season two, and so much more. The Legend of Vox Machina is out now worldwide via Lakeshore Records. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sam Regal, Neil Acree, and Peter Habib as much as I do. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, congratulations on the enormous success. I mean, beyond it being a cultural phenomenon, it's wall, we got wall-to-wall music and songs that are just, just fantastic. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, when does that ever happen? <laughs> Never. <laughs> well, welcome. I'd love to first start off, if you don't mind, um, if you could each just introduce yourself briefly and give me a sense of how you got into music or music got into you. Just a little snippet. Whoever wants to go first. Sam? You, Sam, you want to go? Name, your name starts with an A, Neil. You go first. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a lot of fun during high school gym class. Let's have everyone, <laughs> everyone watch Neil go out, climb up the rope first. Um, but in this case, uh, so my name's Neil Acri. Uh I am a composer. I've been working for about 25 years, believe it or not. Um, and uh, I started out... Um, you know, I thought I was going to be an artist and because my dad was an amazing artist, but never got to do that professionally. So I thought I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill his dream for him. But at one point uh, music just kind of took over and um, in the form of wanting to be a heavy metal guitar player and, you know, Metallica or Slayer type band. <laughs> and um, as I was, uh, you know, getting deeper and deeper into music, I started realizing that there's only so heavy you can get you know, with, with uh, guitar, only so far you can detune a guitar. I thought it's, you know, as soon as I started exploring orchestra and that kind of thing, I realized how much more, uh, you know, how much deeper I could get into music. And then the idea of combining uh, music with picture was the ultimate, you know, experience, the ultimate uh, musical journey. So that kind of led me into, you know, film and TV. And as I said, I've been doing this about 25 years now and it's been just an incredible uh, journey. And I'm so glad it's brought me here to this moment, getting to share this experience with Sam and Peter. Amazing. Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is, I'll go next. Is that cool? Yeah. Um, my name is Peter Habib and I am a songwriter, uh, producer, composer, um it runs the gamut depending on what the project calls for but uh i've been doing this a little bit less uh for a little bit less long than neil has um i guess a little over 20 years <laughs> um and i mean i got the music bug pretty early i remember when i was uh a wee boy probably five or six my parents couldn't 
grab me away from the record player and I would just sit there for hours and listen to whatever albums they had. There was Kenny Rogers, there was some Barbra Streisand, and there was Michael Jackson. Um, so it kind of uh, ran the gamut. Um, and from that, I started to get interested in uh, sax, played sax when I was growing up, to some keyboard lessons, and always had a voice, probably a vocalist first, and then used my instruments to accompany myself and then started uh, uh, enjoying musical theater in high school. Um, got involved with a lot of that and then kept the, the voice going and started an acapella group in my high school. And then in college, uh, went to the University of Virginia, where I met Sam Regal over there. <laughs> um, and we both joined the Academical Village people, a college acapella group, all male, uh, yeah. which was a lot of fun. And we continued the vocal thing. And then, uh, yeah, post-college, I was working in the music industry for a little bit and then decided that I wanted to get back onto the creative side of things and started getting deep into studio equipment and recording, got the recording bug and wanted to figure out how I could record my voice. And then that led to writing songs. And then uh, I met my uh, production team partner, Adam Nero. And he's also actually a singer with us at the University of Virginia and that acapella group. We were all in that together. Uh, and we just started making music and, and it, it led to different things. We were working for music libraries. We were working uh, for commercials, doing jingle work. Then we started really focusing in on songwriting and doing uh, records for artists. Uh, and that led to a huge stint in Asia where I was working on K-pop records and and then in, in, uh, in China, working on a lot of Mando pop records and just pop records over there for uh, pop stars. And uh, so it kind of runs the camera. I, I've done some scoring also, some scoring work as well. So it, it's been a, a wild journey and uh, I'm just blessed to have been able to do music <laughs> for a career. So cool. Sam. And then me, Sam Regal. Hi, I'm Sam Regal. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, my musical journey began at a young age. I was a, a musical theater uh, actor and performer, and I did lots and lots and lots of musicals. Even before the age of, of 13, I had done like 26 different musicals and touring company of uh, Les Miserables, and I was on Broadway and Sound of Music and uh, did a lot of singing growing up. I was in a in a doo-wop group in high school. And then as Peter said, we did acapella in college. He also failed to, he neglected to mention that we were in a band briefly together oh. called Segway, where That's I true. played bass and he played conga. And we, <laughs> and, uh, we, we all sang, and Adam was in it as well. And we all, uh, we all sang. It was mainly an excuse for us to do harmonies, sick harmonies, but uh, we also played instruments, just sort of not that great. Um, and, uh, and then I started doing critical role stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm one of the founding members of critical role. We, we, uh, play, um, we play a live play, uh, RPG system every Thursday night. And now it's turned into a, a fabulous animated series that we're so excited to share with the world and share the music, uh, of the series with the world. And music has been a big, big part of not only the series, but my character that I play on the series, Scanlan Shorthalt, his music uh, is his magic. So, um, 
So we knew we had to assemble a crack team of musicians to, to bring it to life. And we sure did. You sure did. And, you know, you, you touched upon, Sam, you touched upon the fact that, you know, you transitioned from this live series, this critical role transition from YouTube and Twitch, the Vox Machina characters and the story onto, um, into an animated series. I'm really curious, what were the conversations like about the music in the beginning? for the series? Oh, well, at the beginning, uh, one of the main questions that we got kind of early on that we had to, to, to decide was um, my character, Scanlan, Scanlan on the show, casts spells by singing or playing his lute or just making music. And um, as we played through the first, uh, uh, th- this whole story is a, is a retelling of a, of a campaign that we played, um, uh, a role-playing campaign that we all played together. And in that campaign, I would uh, sort of represent my musical magic by covering pop songs and just kind of changing the lyrics a, a little bit um, to be cheeky or, or stupid or whatever. And one of the first questions that we, we had to solve when we started the animated series was, where were we going to do that for the animated series? Where were we going to take uh, pop songs, real songs, and sort of uh, redo the lyrics? Or were we going to make original uh, original music for Scanlan, and we decided pretty early that we needed to do original music, both for financial budgetary reasons. I guess it's a little hard to license a Taylor Swift song, um, and uh, but also just for creative reasons. Like it, it seems, it seemed uh, like a great opportunity to establish like what does music sound like in our world, and what kind of music uh, can exist uh, with these wild characters. And, um, and it gave us a, a chance to really go beyond what is traditional uh, bard-type music for fantasy shows and expand it into other genres, um, be they hip-hop or country or whatever, and uh, really flex our musical muscles. But then uh, the other conversation that we had early on was like the score, the, the under, underlying orchestration of this series. So many fantasy-type shows on television have, you know kind of a standard-ish, fantasy-ish orchestral score. And um, we wanted to make sure that this this whole project stood out somehow. wasn't just your standard, you know, couple Celtic instruments and and an orchestra and you're done. You know, we wanted to put put our own little unique uh, twist on it. And so we we relied on uh, Neil's exceptional talents to sort of... uh, not just do the the standard classical work of um, making epic, amazing music, which he sure did, um, but also finding ways to make uh, make the score of the Legend of Vox Machina just different from any other uh, fantasy type score. And I'll let him tell us how he managed to do that. But uh, <laughs> but it was it was a super duper challenge, and uh, and that's that's sort of how we began the project. Yeah, Neil, I, I, for me, my personal favorite is No Mercy Percy. I think that track is incredible. It just goes in so many different directions. And it's one of those things where it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I always wonder how I'm a composer myself, but I always find it very interesting to see how composers are able to sort of up the bar and change the mood of the song. Um, what was your approach, your general approach to this series? Well, you talk about building and getting bigger and bigger. That's the beauty of the series is that the the episodes were written in a way that the story 
gets bigger and bigger, darker and more um, you know meaty from a composer's perspective. So it was really fun to kind of uh, help develop that that sound uh, from the very beginning, kind of planting thematic seeds with different characters, different situations, and have them develop. And that's what I love about the format of TV is the you have this long form ability to kind of create themes that can develop over 12 episodes or more. But as for the initial, you know, conversations about the sound, you know, like Sam said, it's, we want it to be different and not your typical fantasy series, but at the same time, it is a fantasy series and you did want to kind of feel like, you know, right from the beginning, like, you know, establish the world as, is a fantasy world. Uh, so I kind of came into it with thinking, I had you know, some ideas about orchestra and certain amount of Celtic instruments and everything and establishing like, uh, you know, a, a feeling of where we were. And um, at some point, you know, Sam early on was like, hey, for an upcoming episode, we have this, you know, Scanlon's going to whip out a, you know, his magic lute and it's going to turn into a heavy metal guitar. So we're going to need like a song, like a thrashing metal song. And I'm like, you know, forget the rules. <laughs> now it's just whatever, you know, whatever I come up with at any given time is, is cool. And that's kind of been the, the a fun uh, evolution to it is realizing that if it feels right in the moment and has some kind of a, you know, dramatic context, literally anything goes. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll send stuff to Sam and Travis and, and the guys uh, and be like, is this, this too far? Am I taking this too far? And the answer is always no. <laughs> and uh, and I love that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing how far we can can push this, you know, always with the the interest of of the dramatic context and, and not doing anything as a gimmick, because I hate the idea of just doing something different just to be different. It's got to work dramatically. Uh, but definitely getting to push the boundaries in that you know, makes for a really fun experience on my end. Yeah. And you nailed it. You all, you all nailed it. And, and Peter and Sam, I, I'd love, you know, Sam, you mentioned Scanlon. I, I love the idea of music as a superpower. Just good idea. Totally. Great. You know, I, I want more. Um, and you, as you mentioned, it's a totally different take on the bard. I feel kind of like we all have an inner Scanlon. Like it's like he's like the id or something. For sure. <laughs> um, and you obviously have had this character fleshed out. Um, be before the series. I'm wondering though, like just to get into the nitty gritty, how did you figure out the tone of the songs? Because he gets pretty, let's call it risque. Sure. But there is a, there is a fine line, right? Like you could have gone further. I'm wondering if you did go further and if, did you guys have to pull it back or how did you find that tonal balance? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, a lot of it, uh, I, I relied on good old Peter Habib to... Uh, How much worse a, did it get? <laughs> a, well, I mean, Scanlon's always been a nasty, nasty boy. Um, uh, but but uh, as the audience will find out as the series progresses, uh, he starts off as as pretty uh, pretty extreme and will he'll, he'll end up getting more and more sensitive and... He grows as a character, as all of our characters do. And so we, we start him off 
pretty pretty hardcore um and then we'll we'll gradually get more more and more sophisticated and mature with his character and i think that we represented that or wanted to represent that musically as well um peter obviously uh had a huge role in sort of interpreting um what all that meant like i i would come to peter and be like all right here's the scene here's the kind of vibe what you know what what can we what can we make what can, what can we do and uh and peter, peter would shoot back all kinds of uh of ideas melodic ideas or but also like uh genre ideas um and mixing genres together and the, the first song in the in the show has has or the second song in the show has uh, a mixture of sort of musical theater and hip-hop in it and um and I think just using Peter as sort of like the first audience member uh, for these songs was was kind of great because he uh, he could he could give me his his musical expertise, but also his expertise as just a listener of music. Um, but Peter, how did you deal with all that? Well, I was inter- I was thinking about this, and I mean, I I look back at when we first started dabbling and experimenting sonically and with the writing, and it was believe it or not, it was October. 2019 i believe and this was before a lot of uh i don't there really wasn't too much development in terms of animatics or anything else that had happened at that point so um we just kind of had a a blank slate if you will to create and to experiment and sam came to me and was like he would send me a voice note and be like i have this idea for the first introduction song where we're going to have Scanlon introduce the crew um, and you know, he'd, send me, he'd send me this voice note and I have to decipher it and say, what's he doing? Like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. And then I would take that and build, that would be the seed. Right. And then we would build up around that. And then I would lean on him because obviously this is his world. It's his character in terms of lyrics. He would know exactly where it needed to go um, from that perspective. So it was a it was a real big back and forth. And I think we just edited. He would come up with some idea. I would come up with some idea. And then we'd meet in the middle somewhere. We would both edit each other. I would come up with some lyric idea. And maybe it was too nasty. He would come up with some lyric idea. Maybe that was a little more toned down. Um, so it really was, uh, I mean, a genuine back and forth. And it's been a blast. Uh, and in terms of genre, again, it's been really rewarding to experiment with all different kinds of sounds. And that's, that's what I've just been uh, really appreciative uh, that I've been able to do that with this. So if I don't know too many Broadway musical numbers that are very traditional, and then all of a sudden there's a trap beat in the middle of it, you know, maybe there's some musicals that start off that way. And the music is like that throughout, if you know what I mean, (laughs) there's one big one that comes to mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to have this mixing and interweaving of all these different styles to me was just, uh, unique and, and it's been, it's been a blast. And as for myself, my name is Stanley, the man with the fat purple hand. My music's jammed, going hand, you can't stand it, get some water, hide your door. Oh, uh, sorry. Brave warriors are we and far more clever than a fox. They'll tell tale of our exploits in the legend of Is Scanlon, this is a little bit of a nerdy question, but is, is, is Scanlon generating 
the songs and instrumentation like in real time. Oh yeah. Like, like does question. he have a studio? Does he produce his own music? Like how do this is something that we this is something we actually talked about a lot. Like there's there's some moments in the show where Scanlon picks up a lute or or a flute sometimes and uh and plays it and that's all you hear is just just the lute or just the flute. But we sort of established early on that whenever he plays music magically uh, he has the ability to unlock a, a full orchestra of uh, of magical instrumentation that sort of accompanies him. So I I believe that when he plays a song and you you hear multiple instruments and a, a full orchestration behind him, that's what the characters are also hearing in the in the room, um, uh, even if it's just him and his lute, um, because he's able to just sort of conjure it around him. Uh, so no, he doesn't. He doesn't go in a studio and record things. He's making them live. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so, did you all know that this was going to be the sort of like cultural zeitgeist thing that's going to connect in this way? Or did you have an inkling? I mean, obviously, there's there was the Kickstarter, and there was uh, it had a previous sort of iteration but again translating to television is a whole different beast i mean and you know fans i'm not talking about your fans in particular but just um fans in general there's sort of a culture of like oh we love to hate on things too right especially oh i like the original it's all it's it's a meme in and of itself did you know that it was going to translate or and if so or if not were there certain guiding principles that you were like this is how we're going to make this work musically and or just in terms of the show uh i mean i'll let the the fellas uh talk musically but just from a narrative standpoint yeah we we had a really hard job um striking that balance uh obviously this is a story that is has been told before in another in another format in another medium and there are lots of passionate fans um who have already seen it and also helped make this animated series possible via the, their generous donations to the Kickstarter. So we knew that we had to please those people, um, the, the fan, the long-term fans, the OG critters and, and make sure that the story that we told in the television series resonated for them and sounded like the story that they remembered uh, from the first time they watched it. But we also wanted to, um, welcome in a whole new group of new new fans, new viewers, a uh, new audience that maybe doesn't know anything about tabletop role-playing games or yeah. doesn't want to know about dice rolls, uh, doesn't want to, doesn't, maybe they will after watching it, but um, they just want to watch a, a cool story. So we knew we had to make some changes to make it a little bit more understandable uh, to a, a broader mainstream audience. Um and we did that in the first couple episodes by just sort of re-establishing the characters um, with a brand new story that the audience had had never seen before, not even the uh, the OG Critter fans. And um, and then just sort of keeping in mind that even though we were retelling a story, it's an adaptation. And in changing some things and moving some timeline things around and switching around some characters and stuff, we wanted to also keep our original audience surprised a little bit like if we just told the same exact story a second time it might not be interesting for uh for old school fans and so we changed enough that made it um surprising even if you already kind of know what's going to happen 
Um, and so that was that was our goal, striking this balance of welcoming in new fans, but also honoring the ones that got us there. Musically, uh, it was it was tricky because when we play our live play show, we do have like this score behind us um, that most of our fans are kind of used to. And it's pulled from video games uh, mostly. Uh, and so I don't know, Neil, did you when you went into the scoring process, did you did you think about the kinds of things that we had used in our in the live play series? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember at one point. I think like right before I decided I needed to reach out to you and, and that th- this was going to be something really special that I had to be a part of. I, I heard one of my pieces on, on the live stream, Matt had programmed it on the playlist. I thought I, you know, I gotta, I gotta jump in here because this is really something really special. I really want to be a part of. Um, but yeah, if you, you know, the, the mechanics of, you, know, you might have like a two minute battle in the, in the show in the series, that might have taken four hours in the live play to, you know, with all the mechanics of starting and stopping and everything. So I, I obviously, I tried to capture the, the feeling that one might have during that longer session. Um, but if you're jumping quickly from idea to idea, it really ca- became all about, you know, scoring the scene and, uh, you know, the shifts in tone that would happen in a battle very quickly. Uh, so, yeah, it was a constant uh, uh, trying to bridge that gap between the sound of the original live stream, the play, Matt's playlist and things. And I definitely listened to a lot of the stuff that, you know, was there just to kind of keep it in that same world. But it did. It also I was conscious of the fact that I was kind of acting as a bridge between as I'm sure many people in the production were feeling like we're, we're acting as a bridge between the original series and the new format that's going to, you know, take on this new life and new people are going to hear it and see it. Um, so kind of just trying to create something that was genuine on its own. And I, I will say that I, I was in the room for the first table read and sitting in the back of the room, watching everyone sit around the critical role table and, uh, you know, read the things real time, uh, read, read the parts and Sam even sang the, <laughs> the song uh, live. And I remember someone said, you know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to sing. You could have just played it back, but I love the fact that you, you sang it live and I was there to see it. The point being, I knew in that room, just seeing the, the, the nervous excitement and the passion and how excited everyone was about it. Just like, the, the room was buzzing with excitement and I felt so privileged to be there in the room. And I was very emotional. This is like, you know, before any artwork had, you know, there's concept work, but like before any animation had been done, it's just like, Hey, let's see how the script works, you know, all together. And I felt very emotional at that time. I, I knew that no matter how, what happened with this, whether it was successful or not, that something really special was happening. And I wanted to, from that moment to, to all the way through the process, give as much as I could to try to help these amazing creative people that made the show in the first place to, to help them realize this vision and help them make it the best it could be. And in the end, it didn't matter how, how good it was. If it got out there and it was true uh, to what everyone wanted it to be, then it'd be a success in any way. And the fact that it's, uh, 
you know, been a success anyways, is, is just, is because of the passion that went into it from the very beginning. So that's my, <laughs> I hope that answers your initial question. Definitely. Peter, do you have anything to say about that? I mean, yeah, I mean, here, here to what, to what Neil said, it's been, uh, I mean, it's been interesting from my perspective, because I've talked to a lot of people that don't follow the original uh, format, formatted show, the Critical Role show, the live, uh, live play show, um, but have gotten into this new animated series, right? And I think that's the beauty of how they worked it is that you don't have to know anything about Critical Role. You can just go on to Amazon Prime Video and see this new animated series that says it's explicit and for adults, and you can start watching it and be surprised and be entertained and be transported into this fantasy world. Um, so I think they they knocked it out of the park in, in, in that aspect. I mean, it must have been really hard. I, mean, I know it was really hard just to satisfy... The critters, they're diehard fans that are unlike any other fans I know of <laughs> um, that are just so passionate, right? Um, they want to see this succeed. And I think you have a lot of people now that are just loving the show in general and want to see it succeed and can't wait for season two. And again, have had no connection to the original the original live show. So that's, that's just amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, and for me, again, it's, it's, it's been really great in that I had there were there wasn't any limitations, so to speak. I mean, Sam would be like, "Yeah, you know, let's try to do a song that is I don't know, like a, a funk song." <laughs> so when I hear that, I'm like, "Okay, let me let me try to dabble with uh, in that world and see what happens." Um, and we we got some really cool original work out of it that I think we're all proud of, and and. And above all else, we had a hell of a good time writing and, and recording. So to me, any day that you can have fun writing music and it is uplifting and transports people and connects to an audience, I mean, you're, you're a winner, right? Absolutely. I couldn't, I, you're here to that. Um, you mentioned the funk song. Does, how do I ask this question properly? Does James Brown or an equivalent mm -hmm exist in the world of legend of vox machina oh interesting right because funk exists in the world of vox machina but is that scanlan is it just like this is the sound of scanlan no one's ever heard this funky sound before i mean Scanlan invented that james brown ripped him off yeah. two three four give me a tug i don't really know what you're thinking when you're looking at a gnome like me oh, But I can show you something special Woo! You ladies and you ladies can't see ya. Got a twinkle in my eye That's right Hit the lights and you'll find a surprise Cause there is something underneath my drawers Come on, let your fingers explode Part of Scanlon's backstory is he traveled around the world before meeting Vox Machina with a, with a band, basically, and went from town to town and also uh, uh, continent to continent, um, 
uh, not just performing, but also learning music. So he 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 got genres from all over this uh, this mythical world of Exandria, and so probably somewhere uh, in the world of Exandria, there he stumbled upon some artist, some musician who was playing something similar to uh to his funk song mm. and he just kind of borrowed it and took it with him um there was a wormhole to cincinnati <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in Alexandria, there's uh, there's a st louis blues club <laughs> um tonally so so the the show and the music there's this sort of ferocious pace right it's like it's i look at a good um piece of entertainment, sort of like a shark. Like it always it needs to just keep eating in order to move. And it's always giving you something, whether it's action or um, melodrama or comedy, whatever it is. And this show pulls it off so well. You're constantly, to me, sort of subverting expectations. I, I'm like, you know, I'm a trained viewer, right? So I, I'm watching out for the punchline or this and that, but you're still tricking me up, which I love, which allows me to just sit back and enjoy. I'm wondering how much is meta? Is this a meta fantasy? Is it parody at all? Or is it just fantasy? Is this just their world? Because there's something that does feel meta to me, but that could just be my own interpretation. I mean, I think that the world, it's, it's tricky. The other thing that we, we had to figure out at the beginning of this whole journey and how to turn our, our live Twitch show into an animated series is um, part of the fun of watching Critical Role every Thursday night on Twitch is not just the story and the characters, which are great, fantastic, but part of the fun is also watching uh, the eight cast members banter about b- bullshit, you know, just kind of like tease each other, make faces at each other, um, make fun of, of our mess ups, um, running jokes, you know, being cheeky with each other. And so we, we knew that we couldn't do that in in a narrative animated series that's told in 22 minute chunks because, you know, we, uh, we didn't want to like zoom out and realize, Oh, this isn't a cartoon. It's people playing a game at a, at a gaming table with dice. That would have just, just interrupted the story so much and take, taken you out of, what is really a, a great story uh, on its own, but we wanted to pay homage to sort of the cheekiness of what goes on at the, the table um, and not just our table either anywhere in the world where people are playing games like Dungeons and Dragons together. There's a fair amount of, uh, of teasing and, and playfulness and, uh, going on. And so um, in order to capture that spirit without directly referencing it, we just made our characters a little bit, um, you know, they tease each other. They, they, they take the piss out of each other. They, um, they have pranks among each other and competitions and, um, and stupid running gags. And just like any, any group of friends does at, uh, at a gaming table. And so it's not necessarily a spoof. Uh, I wouldn't call this a spoof in any way, but it is, um, it's a nod to how we all, uh, play games together, uh, in um in real life and um and how ridiculous that sort of mm-hmm. how ridiculous it all is um we try not to take our t- ourselves too seriously at the game table and and so we didn't try to take ourselves too seriously in the cartoon as well and and neil did you approach the characters thematically very straight straight ahead or did you have a sort of wink in mind as well 
That was the, yeah, a constantly evolving perspective because, you know, like Sam said, there's, there's a lot of fun between the characters, but it also has to live in this real world where the stakes are real and the darkness is really dark and it gets really dark towards the end. So uh, is a, a constantly uh, moving line of, you know, I would generally play everything pretty straight, be that, you know, the straight man to the jokes every once in a while. You know, there's a, a joke or a comedic moment that the music would need to catch uh, and kind of play, you know, be a little playful, especially earlier on. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just kind of constantly evolving. And I try to kind of find a middle ground, but oftentimes within any given cue, there can be, you know, can shift back and forth between things. But especially as we got deeper into the season and things get darker and darker, there was the music just kind of kept going in that direction. And um, even though the show tonally would would be very dark, but then occasionally there'd be a comedic moment. But I would never, uh, you know, the, the comedy worked on its own, so I didn't need to, you know, to do much. Um, and yeah, the fact that it, uh, I mean, it's all in the writing and the, the, the animation and, and the editing and everything works so well on screen that it was just a matter of me just finding a, finding a stream that would flow through it, flow in between it without getting in the way of anything. Uh, but, you know, it's really a testament to how the show was made that, that that became a relatively, once it was hard to figure out at first, but once kind of cracked the puzzle, then it kind of became a fairly intuitive process. Uh, was there anything that, whether it's songs or score, didn't make it past, past the edit that, you know, you thought moments that stuck out that you you were like, oh, these are great. This is a great piece of music or song, but it's just not working for whatever reason on the in the series. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, there were different iterations of, uh, I would say, stylistically and tempo wise of some of the songs. So we might have originally thought, uh, again, because a lot of the song work was done before there was actual full animation. Um, the stories were there, but uh, I don't think everything was fully realized. So we'd have to revisit and go back to a song and say, you know what? Like in context now, this is not going to work. And the tempo's off. This doesn't flow to the next scene. Why is this an up-tempo when <laughs> something really dark just happened? Mm -hmm. um, so there was that editing that had to take place on the song side. Uh, for sure. And then sometimes if a song didn't work um, in episode, if the cast just felt really strongly about it and the, on the creative side and they wanted it in there somehow, sometimes we just throw it to the end credits and do a new version of the song. That would be again, appropriate for that uh, tagging, whatever happened in the last scene to make sure that it was okay. Juxtaposed with that again, you know, being in following being very clear with the intention and, and following and supporting and enhancing whatever was on, on screen in that moment. So. Was there, are there specific references, whether they be shows, um, cartoons or um, musicians or artists that were thrown around that, that were, you know, just to make sure my, my blue is your blue. Um, these are, this is, these are sort of touch points that we'd like to aim towards. Uh, you mean score-wise or, or Scanlon song-wise? Either. 
I don't know if we ever really talked about specific artists um, that we were trying to emulate or refer to. I know that Neil, as we've talked about different things, you have some idols that you sort of look up to. And I I know we talked about, um, there was a couple episodes that had a little bit of a horror tinge that we, we talked about Hitchcock a little bit, um, (laughs) you know, capturing some Hitchcocky vibes. Uh, And you know, probably when we've talked about different scoring elements, I think we've referred to a couple of, of movies that have, you know, sort of eerie, creepy sounds to them um, in episodes that I don't think have aired yet. But um, but yeah, I, I don't think that there was a, a specific artist or set of artists that we that we used as a touchstone other than just for a specific moment uh, evoking. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not the most musically uh, gifted person in terms of my musical language. I, as Peter said, like when I have to give a musical note or an idea, I always just sing it because that's the only thing I can do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, sometimes I think we would toss out um, movies or TVs as references, but not not for the general uh, show, just just for specific scenes and, and moments. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, I. I actually, a lot of the series has been tempted with my music, which um, cool. is always there. There's there's gr- good things about that and challenging things about that. The good thing about it is I can the tone is indicated, and that way there you know for the purposes of of doing the storyboard animatic and kind of getting the show built before it begins to, the final animation and edited. Um, there's something in there that kind of establishes the mood. Um, the, the other plus side is that I can kind of ignore it because it, I, it's something I've already done for something else. I'm not going to redo it. Uh, so it's kind of like if, if you get something in there that's too, has too much identity to it and works too well, then there's this, you know, the pull is to try to emulate it or try to, uh, you know, have everything line up exactly to it. So in, in that sense, it's been helpful to, to not have anything too, I'm not saying I invented this from the ground up. I definitely have my influences and my heroes. But one of the things that's been really special about this experience is that Sam and Travis and Sungjin and Brandon Allman and and everyone involved has been so trusting to just kind of let me find my own way. And, uh, you know, from from a career, I've been doing this a long time and I've been in a lot of situations where people are like, you got to do exactly this and it's got to be, you know, and and I love when somebody knows what they want and gives me very specific guidelines. But I also love when someone just kind of lets me find my own way there and, and find my own voice. And I think that has led to bringing some of the best of what I have to give for the series is the, the chance to find my own way there without being too pigeonholed into something specific. Uh, that being said, you know, every time someone, you know, throws out an idea uh, of like, you know, just let's try this, let's try that. It's always great to get, you know, uh, guidance and be able to bounce ideas off each other. And Sam's Sam always downplays his musical ability, but he's very, very talented musician, very knowledgeable about how music works dramatically and, you know, maybe not in the the exact musical terms, but he always gets his ideas across and they're always great. And for that reason is the collaboration process on the show has been the best in my career, really. I I also have to just, you know, echo a little bit of what you said there, 
Neil about Sam's ability. Uh, I told you I'd be singing your praises. Um, you know, those vocals, I mean, they're just killer. Peter yeah. Habib can make anyone sound good. With <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> with enough filters. No, no, no. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, because we sang for, I, I mean, I've known Sam for a really long time. So, uh, I, I think going on 27 years now. So, uh, I know mind blown. Right. Um, but I mean, I've, I just, I know his voice so well. So that that's really helpful because I know when he I can say, hey, Sam, you know what? You could totally hit this. And he might say, no, no, no. I really I'm like, Sam, you can really do. It. I'm telling you, you did it on this song back then. I'm sure you could do it now. So he <laughs> um, yeah, he downplays his skills for sure. But yeah, he is crazy talented. He's got a, a beautiful instrument and um, he can do a lot with it. So we tried to take advantage with that on the show. And I, I hope that uh, that comes through. And it, it, he's got a unique voice because, again, he's got a really nice showbiz Broadway style voice. He can really milk that vibrato when he wants to. And then when he wants to sound like a 80s rocker, he could do that. And then when he wants to be the uh, super hot trap rap star. Oh, yeah. That's what I was born to do. <laughs> he, could, he could maybe pull that off. So. Again, it's it, that, that's what was so fun about this is we could explore all those different all those different voices that he has um, and really just utilize his talent as much as possible in as many spaces, uh, musical spaces as, as we could find. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to show everybody what, what we have in store in, in the future, too. Can't really talk too much about that, but, you know. Yeah, oh, believe me, I'm going to ask, and you're going to get mad. You're going to be like, dude. <laughs> um, I'd love to ask all three of you. I know earlier um, you touched upon sort of your background and literally what your professions are. But it, how do you each communicate? We can start with Sam. How do you communicate what you do? Do you have an artistic mission statement or ethos or approach? What is it that you're trying to do? Uh, <laughs> What, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, that's tricky. Um, I think, yeah, it's a tricky question. It depends on the situation. Usually at, par- at parties, at parties when someone says like, what do you do? I'm like, I just sort of, uh, blithely like, oh, I work in animation. <laughs> that that's it. And they kind of shut up after that. Do you have something in mind? Like, like, when you're creating something, do you have certain phrases or idioms or just what your general approach? Like, are you just trying to create something cool? I mean, I think for me, just going back as far as I can go, I've always just, I've been a performer and an entertainer and I'm trying uh, in, in both my writing and, and performing. um, And now as we get into producing and stuff like that, I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, I'm trying to perform. Um, I'm trying to perform for people. And that doesn't necessarily just mean me singing a song and making people clap or laugh. Um, it's, it's setting up these, these stories and these moments um, where people uh, get to experience things that are totally unexpected. Um, you know, on the, on the live play show, I do this series of advertisements that are just really, really stupid. And it's one of the most fun things I do in my whole life. 
It's my favorite part about the show. They're so good. <laughs> it's mine too. We play we play a four hour game uh, every Thursday night. But my favorite part is the two minutes at the beginning of the of the episode where I get to be the advertising uh, guy uh, because they just let me do whatever whatever I want. Uh, I, I sometimes I sing a song, sometimes I read a poem, sometimes I play a silly character, and uh, for me that that scratches my itch of needing to needing to perform and feeding off of um, even if there's no audience there feeding off of the rea- the reaction of um uh, of an audience that i can imagine in my mind um so yeah i i don't think of myself as an actor first or a writer first i just think of myself as a performer um and and whatever that means in the situation is what it means cool i i, I love that um neil what about you how do you communicate your if you have one an artistic mission statement or ethos or your approach I, I probably, you know, consider myself an artist and I don't mean that in the, you know, oh, I'm an artiste kind of way, but I mean, it like, like I said, I, I was originally going to be like a, a visual artist, a graphic designer, or just anything related to the arts. And I've always been, you know, I sculpt and I do just anything creative I can do at any given time to, to keep kind of, I feel like as a person, if I'm not creating, I'm not fulfilling my purpose as a human being and I feel out of touch and I feel don't feel right if I'm not creating in some way so sometimes if I get so bogged down with music I'll just go and I'll I'll paint Star Wars models or I'll just do something to uh, keep that creative hamster wheel going but without actually having to you know create something new so everything I do the way I relate to at least in my own mind, when I relate to what I do, I think about it in terms of, you know, relating to like a drawing. Like if I'm writing a piece, I'll sketch out, you know, uh, I'll I'll make a sketch and then I'll shade it in in certain spots. And uh, sometimes I end up doing the, I don't know if you've seen the meme where they have this perfectly drawn, perfectly shaded horse on the front, on the left side, on the right side, it's this stick figure. Sometimes I do that where like, put all the you know, detail and perfection into the first half and you run out of time, you just have to, you know, get it done and throw it together. But everything I do, I kind of, I, I again, in terms of my own mind, I, I think of it, I relate it to, to art and uh, colors and, and that way. And the creative process is endlessly fascinating to me. And I, I started writing a book on the creative process before the pandemic. And then the pandemic just kind of, flipped everything upside down and completely changed my perspective. So I'm still reevaluating what that would even mean. But point being is that I'm constantly trying to uncover and discover what makes me work as, as a creative being, what makes me thrive and how I can better, uh, you know, make my process better and, and more fulfilling for me. Cool. How about you, Peter? Yeah, I mean the the I mean the at the the root of the question I guess is what what do I consider myself the 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 ethos the core of it. Um I mean for me I think the most important part is listening, right? So I I want to listen to any direction I'm given and then try to think of myself as the listener who's hearing back what I'm outputting. Um Sorry if that's a little heady, but um, so whenever I'm in the moment, it's kind of weird. I, 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 I've been in a ton of sessions 
mostly I would say songwriting sessions, pop songwriting sessions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a formula to it. There's a, a way to kind of make sure that the pre is, is going to be a good lift into the hook. And then maybe there's a post hook and, and then there's a, there's a format to it. Right. And <clears throat> so while you want to follow that, you also want to have something new happening as a, as a listener to catch the ear. Right. So I find that uh, as I've just gone along more and more in my career, I'm just breaking down songs from that perspective constantly. So if I'm listening to a song on the radio, you know, for better, for worse, it's not quite as pleasurable as it was when I was a little kid, right? Because I'm getting all of this information for the first time. Now I'm breaking it down. I'm systematically trying to figure out what's going on and then decoding that and then trying to recode it out in a creative way for, for everybody else. So when I do actually, uh, write something and, and produce, it's super focused. It's like in a, I turn into like a zombie, like a catatonic state. Um, and I'm just, I, I don't know. I just go, it's, it's really bizarre. And then I, a couple hours later, I'm like, what, what the hell just happened? Like, I, I don't even know. And there's something that's been outputted and whatever uh, I was feeling in that moment or, or tried to make some kind of connection to the music is, is, uh, you know, at the cost of sounding so dramatic here, but I mean, that's, that's, that's basically what it is at this point. I, I kind of just tap into something and, uh, and I just go and um, lucky enough for me, the, the production has been very uh, accepting of what, <laughs> what we've outputted so far. So like Neil said, I said, there hasn't been too many crazy notes where it's been like, Hey, you got to redo this. It's got to be slightly different. It, it's been, um, it's been really smooth, which is, has been great. Uh, it's just, yeah, it feels just refreshing and freeing. So. Great. Um, I'm conscious of the time. So I'm going to ask uh, quickly, Sam, tell me everything that happens in season two. Season two? Oh yeah. man. Well, Scanlon gets uh, nodes <laughs> and uh, it's a big, big problem. Uh, he has to go on vocal rest. And so most of the season is just him on vocal rest. Uh, tear to my eye. <laughs> uh, can you tell us of anything? No, I, I think we can do. I mean, obviously, the season one ends with uh, various winged serpents flying towards uh, the capital city of Amman. So that will heavily impact what happens in season two. Um, and and whatever maybe they're just coming over for a cup of coffee who knows <laughs> but it doesn't seem good by the the arc of their flight um so that will probably be a part of season two and uh you know as the show gets more and more dangerous it's it's harder and harder for uh for us to f- find spots for quirky scanlon songs but we did manage to find a few in season three that i'm sorry in season two um uh, that are really, really fun and unusual and, and break from the mold of what we did in season one. So uh, stay tuned for some super cool music from Scanlon and also from Neil. And there might be some other singers as well joining oh, Scanlon, yeah. right? I, I'm not the only one in Critical No, a nice voice. Yeah, that's the truth right there. Nice, that's nice. Um, last question. This is a rapid, you can just answer rapid fire, all three of you. Don't have to overthink it. It's a little bit of a thought experiment. I'm not religious. It's just a thought experiment. 
you get into you get into heaven, purgatory, wherever you want to be. You are at the pearly gates. You are asked before you're going to be judged to perform one song. What do you do? Wow. From this soundtrack or any soundtrack? <laughs> Your thought experiment just as much as it's mine. You can answer this question however you want. Stairway to heaven. Great. Peter? Man, I, I mean, I, I know what I'd want to listen to. I don't know what I'd want to sing. <laughs> you, play something, you, can, you can just press play on something. It's, it's your call. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'd probably listen to something, uh, I don't know, some Michael Jackson or something by Boys to Men, something vocal. Boys take, to me, take me away, you know? Yeah. Sam? Oh, man, I don't know. That's such a hard question. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty epic moment. You're standing there, the pearly gates. You want something that really sums up your whole life experience. Or just get uh, to the next level, right? Sure. How about the Super Mario Brothers theme, then? Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. It's really catchy. And once you hear it, you really just can't shake it yeah. out of your head. Yeah. yeah, and it literally, you can warp, right? Uh-huh. I oh. love it. Thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with your uh, insights and talking to us. And again, congratulations on all the success. I'm just happy for you all. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Great talking to you. You too.